Welcome to the Jane Bond Show, from execution to excellence, and I am your host, Jane Bond, the serial entrepreneur who will be sharing with you valuable life lessons and interviewing influencers from around the country who have broken through to success, along with giving you advice on navigating through the game. Today, our topic is a true champion. Our special guest is a former three-time Super Bowl champion and one of few players to have started in the Super Bowl with three NFL teams, the San Diego Chargers, Denver Broncos, and Baltimore Ravens. He shares with us the ugly side of success and how he fought his demons throughout his career and found his true calling of supporting and promoting others through the Word of God. After football, he found grace in becoming the chaplain for the Chicago Bears and finally the Baltimore Ravens. He prides himself on being a leader who inspires personal responsibility, loyalty, and building and nurturing relationships. Without any further ado, I'd like to introduce you to my friend and special guest, Harry Swain. Hey, Harry. How are you? Hey, Jane. I'm very well. Thank you. Oh, it's great to hear you. I, it's been so long. We haven't talked in so long. It's like, what, 20 years? <laughs> at, at least 20. Wow. So yeah, it's great. I'm so Too happy long. to have you on the show. And um, let me tell you, you definitely epitomize what we call from execution to excellence. So we're going to dive right in. So Let's Harry, tell me. Tell me what was it like for you growing up in Philly? Because I know you're a Philly guy. I'm a Philly girl, mm-hmm, so we mm-hmm. kind of know what's up there. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I loved it. I love everything about growing up in Philadelphia. I lived in a neighborhood. My first neighborhood in Philadelphia, I think, was West Oak Lane. Right. In a big neighborhood, lots of kids, uh, close to Sheltonham Avenue, uh, lots of uh, hoagies and cheesesteaks and all kind of hobbies, and yeah, it was just, it was great my whole time just growing up in Philadelphia. I was a, I was always outside. It was back in the day when, like your mom and dad that would was... tell you, go outside. Couldn't be in the house, <laughs> right? Which is okay I with me. Growing up in Philadelphia too. Yeah, the hoagies and steaks. That's what we're known for: hoagies and steaks. You mm-hmm. can't get a good hoagie or steak around here. So yeah. let me tell hard, you, when I go to, to any. Of Philly. Yeah, and you know what? It's a funny thing because when I go to any store and I want to order a sandwich that's similar mm-hmm. to a hoagie, I find myself telling them how to make it. So yep. I get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yep, they'll call totally. it Philly cheesesteak anywhere, right? Yes, they will. <laughs> yeah. It's all yes. good, though. But, you're, you know, yes. by you still being in the north, though, you still get to enjoy certain things that I don't, being down south. I do. Yes, easier to get to. Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm, I call. And I'm only two hours away. I know, I know. That's Just interesting two enough. Two short hours, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, that's so, a good thing. you know, I wanted to ask you something because you're such a big guy, you know, and um, we are both, like I said, we both grew up in Philly, and Philly was not like you know your average city. It was they call it the city of brotherly love, but it had its mm-hmm. ups and downs like everywhere else. Were you ever bullied in school? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, but I was I, not in school, but I was bullied in my neighborhood. So when I when I got to the sixth grade, we moved to the Germantown section of Philadelphia, and there were uh, some other kids there. Some of them were much older than than me, and. They kind of bullied us a little bit on the playground and on the basketball court and just little pickup games, uh, playing football in the snow, stuff like that. Yes, I I have experienced it before. Yeah, because, you know, kids um, growing up today, they are experiencing a lot of bullying. I mean, I was bullied Mm -hmm. when I was – and the same thing, to be honest with you, I was bullied in my neighborhood. I remember being afraid to walk down one street, which took me straight home. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was this girl there that always bullied me until one day I got right. brave enough and told her, let's fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep. she beat me up, but she didn't bother she me did. anymore because I had the courage. Yeah, she beat me up. Yep, <laughs> yep. I had a similar experience. Um, uh, it wasn't a fight. It was a one-on-one basketball game with the neighborhood bullies. 
His name was right. George. I'll never forget it. And I beat him in the basketball game. It was for $5. And, of course, uh, he wouldn't give me the money. But I didn't care. I just wanted to tell everybody that I beat George in basketball. Exactly. And he never bothered me again. Never bothered exactly. me again after that. That's a good thing because that's what happens, and that's where courage comes from, you know, standing mm-hmm. up to people and standing up to things in your life that, you know, you have um, challenges with. Were there yes. any other challenges in your life growing up? Uh, I think a big challenge for me was not having my dad at home. My parents got okay. divorced when I was five, so they were always separate. Even though he was clo- he was still in Philly, not having him at home, that in and of itself was a challenge of all challenges. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that later on fueled you for other things, and we'll definitely circle back to that. Good. So football, was football your first love? It was not. I mean, I grew up in Philly when Dr. J and Doug Collins and Henry Bibby, Caldwell Jones, Daryl Dawkins. Yeah, it was a, yeah, they loved their Eagles. But my neighborhood, we were all basketball people. We were basketball fans. And that was my first love, basketball. Yeah. So tell us about that. Yeah, so um, I think a lot of it had to do with where, of all the places we lived in Philly, we always seemed to live in an apartment or house next to a basketball court or a rec center. Right. And they didn't have grass. All they had was asphalt and tar for basketball courts. And so you just played what was available, right? And so naturally it was basketball, and I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. So it was. And what happened with that? Well, even though I loved it and couldn't get enough of it, I wasn't that good enough to play on like an organized team. Certainly right. not in in grade school. Uh, I went to a small grade school in uh, right off of Lion Kim Pike and Walnut Lane called St. Athanasius. Oh, I, I know St. I know that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and I might have played one or two years of basketball there. Uh, but mostly on the bench. And in high school, I played a little because they just felt so bad for me that I worked so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and so, But that's also when I started playing football in high school. I didn't play any organized sports until high school. Well, but when I you... only played. Yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. So I no, I was saying when you when you played basketball and you you mm-hmm. really were, I mean Philadelphia was definitely a basketball town. That's all we heard about was you know it was either Phil, you know the the seventy sixers or Villanova team. Those were mm-hmm. the basketball guys you know from Gene Banks on up. And then you know it's funny I'm still in touch with Gene Banks from West oh, Philly. Wow. Yes. Yeah, yes. It, yeah. He, he was just in big Paris name. and reached out to me. Yeah, big name, awesome. right? Um, loved him. And, and looked up to him when I was in high school with him. But mm-hmm. uh, Philadelphia was definitely a basketball town. You know, Dr. J, Maurice Cheeks, I mean, mm-hmm. Dow Dawkins, all of those guys. And I can't remember the Villanova guys, but a lot of them were, you know, big names for us too. And even when they mm-hmm. won Villanova, when yep. they won the championship, that was huge. Yep. And the Eagles, we kind of saw football, but, you know, I think because – Culturally, also, basketball was huge in Philadelphia. So, yes. you know, nobody really talked about football too much, especially in my house. It was always basketball. Yeah. So when yeah, you realized that you weren't going to play basketball, what happened after that? Um, I kind of got tricked into playing football. <laughs> because right. <laughs> a, friend of, a, a friend of mine at high school, uh, we went to St. Athanasius together, and the first day of class at Cardinal Doherty is my high school. I needed to find a bus to get home. This is a huge school. I didn't know where the bus was, and I asked him if he knew, and he said, yeah, but I'm going to the auditorium first. 
to sign up for football. You should come with me because you're big. Right. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I did. I signed up for football so I could find a bus. <laughs> so next thing I know, I'm playing football, and I wasn't very good at it. I hadn't played before, uh, but I made the team and didn't play as a freshman. Uh, and, yeah, everything just from that point on just took off with football. Still had a love for basketball, but, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's amazing how it worked out. And your first university you went to was Rutgers. Yep, so I went to Rutgers on a full athletic scholarship to play football. And the first day, the first practice at Rutgers, it was hot. I'm in the middle of a field. And all I could think to myself is, why didn't I play basketball? (laughs) (laughs) I I remember calling my mom that night, going, Mom, I don't even like football. She's like, well, baby, it sure is paying your tuition, so I think you should give it uh, a little little longer chance. Right. And and, and I did because it uh, it, would have been impossible for my mom to pay for tuition for two kids in college at that time. Single mom, single parent mom, there's no way. I mean, football was my ticket to get a degree. And you did that. And I did that. And much, much more. And much more. So much when did more. you know yeah. that you were good enough to go pro? Uh, it wasn't exactly on my radar until like the last few games of my senior year. And I think because football looked at a little different back then, it wasn't like this huge thing like it is now. This is like early 80s. It wasn't uh, every kid that played D1 ball didn't have these pipe dreams of I'm going to play in a National Football League one day. I wanted to be a business person. Like my mom definitely had – my mom had – a certain business acumen that uh, I think I had too. So you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be like a skilled professional. I wanted to uh, like use my mind and not my body. Uh, Right. I I wanted to, you know, do some things to help some people. And, yeah, so I had like a lot of dreams. I was always creative. But, yeah, the, but sports was not one of those things. Like, sports for me was just a way to pay for school. Like I was paying for school. And that's part of the reason why I chose Rutgers, because of all the schools that offer me, their tuition cost the most. Right. Okay. And their, uh, they had the biggest brand name for uh, uh, college education. Right. The okay. name of Rutgers meant something in academics. That's why I went to Rutgers. It was not because of the football. Wow. And so, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the coaches and the academic advisors did not have to convince me that you need to graduate. Uh, I certainly planned on doing that. Uh, but <laughs> right. I didn't, pl- I didn't plan on being so good at it that NFL teams were interested Right. So you but, were surprised that you were going pro? <laughs> totally surprised. Absolutely. Totally. Well, that's a great surprise. Yeah. I can remember uh, teams coming up to Rutgers to uh, work me and another linebacker out. It's like it wasn't. I would love to say it was a dream come true, but it wasn't a dream. <laughs> it wasn't From a dream. The start, right. <laughs> the basketball was no. the dream. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but uh, it worked out, and I get drafted into the NFL in the seventh round. No way. Unbelievable. And so, yeah, I mean, I had to start playing the sport. Didn't even really love it. And here I am in the the National Football League. Wow. So So what was your first year like going pro for you then? Yeah, so in 1987, as a rookie with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the first head coach was Ray Perkins. Uh, I knew nothing. I didn't even know the game that well. I certainly did not know what a professional was supposed to do. But thank goodness I had some 
veteran players who were willing to put guys under their wing to teach them some of those things. And I had two good ones that I still talk to to, to this day. Yep. So, Tyron, so wait a minute. Was, yeah. You were with the Buccaneers in 87 to win. 87 to 90. 1990 was my last season with the Buccaneers. You must have been on my flight then. Because that's when I met Jackie Walker, and he gave me the opportunity to do work for him. So you oh, yeah. must have been on, on that flight. <laughs> oh, certainly I was on the, all those flights. Yes. I, I can't remember what airline we flew back then. But you flew Continental. Been... Yeah, that's right. That's yep. right. And mm-hmm. I flew you guys from, um, I want to say, Houston to Chicago or Tampa to Chicago for an mm-hmm. game, I think it was. Okay. Or you were, yep. And you beat Chicago that year. Yeah. Usually they sweep wow. us and beat us. Yeah, because we Isn't played it twice amazing. a year. Yeah. Okay. So tell me yeah. about your first year going pro. Well, what uh, was that like? Well, the best rule you could have as a rookie in the NFL is don't talk. <laughs> right. So all rookies do is listen to the veteran players, uh, make sure you get them chicken uh, for the plane, and donuts on Saturday morning. That's it. <laughs> That's kind of like real so, estate the first year. Don't talk. Just listen. <laughs> yeah, no talking. Just listen, listen, and learn. I could do that. <laughs> right. And so it was fun. It was it was a different year because it was also a strike year. So uh, players went on strike after two games. Wow. And, uh, just just unheard of to think of NFL players uh, going on strike because of unfair working conditions. Wow. Or and poor benefits or no benefits. Or but that's what and they were you... striking for. Really? I, I don't even I don't remember yes. that. You know, I mean I was yeah. crazy in those days too. I was flying all yeah. over around all around the world. So did you have any fears during those years of the strike during that time? No. I didn't. Uh mostly because I was a rookie and I didn't uh I don't even know how I got here. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. And um I mean plus I had I had more money than I could ever hope or dream of. My signing bonus was nineteen thousand three hundred and seventy-four dollars. I mean, wow! I'm a twenty-year-old kid, hadn't quite turned, hadn't turned twenty-one yet, and that's more money than I'll ever need in my life. Wow! <laughs> right at that I mean, time, at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I mean, must I, have been I grew up. I grew up poor. When I got some money, I probably was going to spend it on something to eat. I was always hungry. Yeah, you're a big so, guy. Well, you're a big guy then. and I mean, you're a big guy yeah, now, yeah. but you're nowhere near the weight you were then, which is, nah, you know, surprising yeah. to me. You're like this slender, tall guy now <laughs> instead of the 300-pound yeah, yeah, yeah. guy I remember. So that was it's a little much, surprising to me. It's much, much less painful this way. I'm sure. Yeah, so my, I'm sure. Yeah, so my, my rookie year was like a strike year. I learned a lot about uh, labor relations and the difference between the league management and the union. We're part of the union. And in Tampa, we had quite a few veteran players. Some of them uh, were studying to finish their law degree. We had some really sharp guys that really taught us everything that we needed to know about this whole union labor strike uh, thing. And that part was really good, uh, including right. the time that we were, even when we were on strike, we would all practice together at a local high school. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, interesting, you know. Yes. Yeah. Because you that's never think about a football league striking. Yeah, that yeah. that's very interesting mm-hmm. to me. Um, it is. And, and it to is. go They're on very, strike in your first close. year at Pro. Yes. But you yeah. said you had so much money at that time, it didn't matter if you were on strike or not. You just wanted, you were just excited $19,000? Are you kidding me? I'm sorry, what did you say? I said I had a whole $19,000. Exactly. Back then, that was a lot of money. Yeah, right? Money. Yes. So you know yes, this show so. is called From Execution to Excellence. So I wanted to ask you, what did you find the hardest part of your career to execute? 
as you move forward? Easily the hardest part to execute was uh, consistently committing to working, right? So if if you're professional and you want to be excellent at your craft, uh, you've got to be willing to uh, commit to working at it constantly, right? So that doesn't necessarily, yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean doing something that's labor-intensive, uh, but it does mean not overlook certain areas of your craft uh, that need attention. So there's a saying in all of professional sports that the game is 90% mental. Right? Everybody says that almost in every sport, the game is 90% mental. The hypocrisy of that is they're not spending 90% of their time working on the mental parts. All you see them do is working on the physical parts. Right? And so, right. And so the thing I worked on more than anybody is I studied much more uh, intensively than a lot of people were willing to do. Right? Most people are willing to work on their strengths, not on their weaknesses. I wanted to study my weaknesses because I knew the opponent would. So that was exactly. my approach. That was, the, that was the approach that I learned to take to really look at not just one side of the coin, but both sides of the coin. Hey, Harry, you're really good at this. Hey, Harry, what aren't you really good at? Look at that. And that's why you're a three-time Super Bowl winner, you know? That's why, that's why I played as long as I did. That's how I made my first team. That's why I stayed as long as I did. That's why I played both sides of the ball. So I changed from that's defense that's to it. offense. And right, that's so true, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, and yep, what you're so, saying uh, is so true. Yeah. So a lot of it, yes. The physical parts of it are, you know, the particular skills and talents that you have that are just God-given. Yes, those are those are important. Those are huge. Yes, you need those. However, there's like some uh, some uh, some things that you have to discover on your own about you that take uh, much more of a pursuit and some more digging, if you will, right? To really uncover like a little nuance here, a little small maybe overlooked strength there uh, that really helps uh, everything come together. That is so true. I mean, well said, because consistency pays off. You have to be consistent and completely show up every time, because if you're Mm -hmm. not there, you you might miss something. And also the Mm -hmm. mental part of it, did you ever see um, some of your, your teammates fall because of the not being able to grasp the part of it being a mental game also? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But they didn't fall before I did. <laughs> so right. <laughs> I, like, I like to think that I made, I like to think that I made every new mistake that I could. Right? To proceed Even though with some of those, being professional. Yes, absolutely. Right? Even if that mistake meant that I would look bad on national TV, I made it. Right. So what I learned from professionals is they don't let the mistakes, even the big ones, uh, set them back. They embrace them. Right. That's right. Like they they really do become masters at failing. So people that operate with any level of excellence uh, know how to embrace their failures either theirs individually and specifically or collectively, the team or type of team that they're on, and they use that uh, to propel them forward. They're always looking for something to help them get better. Failure has been one of their biggest stepping stones. I've played with some of the biggest failures out there. Right. And as you say, you know, falling and let's put it in this mm-hmm. context, you know, those who does, don't grasp that concept. Mm-hmm. Falling is nothing but a fall, but you must get back up. Because if mm-hmm. you don't get back up, you can't move to the next level or you can't put one foot in front of the other to keep moving forward. So failure yeah. is just that, just failure. You know, nothing yeah. beats a try. 
Mm-hmm. So you have to always yep. get back up and know, pull yourself back up by your bootstraps and keep moving no matter how much pain you're in, no matter how much you hurt, no matter how much mental stress it is, mm-hmm. it's always tomorrow. Right. Yep. And I live by yeah. that myself. So I, I totally get that. And mm-hmm. you're right. Some of, the ma- yeah. some of the biggest winners out here, you know, across the board have mastered failure because that's yep. how they got to where they are now. Yep. And a lot of young people, yeah, and a lot of young, I try to instill this in a lot of young people, they need to embrace when they're having bad days mm-hmm. because the, the good days are going to be great, but you have to take on the bad days because you never know what's coming at you. And you have mm-hmm. to be able to stand there, take it, deal with it, and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't realize how how much drive I had until I had to look at not just, okay, Harry, what are you good at? But, Harry, who aren't you? We know who you are, but who aren't you? I had a coach say to me one time, I know you're a really good player, but I want to see what kind of player you are when you don't feel like doing it, when you're tired, when you're sick, when you're disappointed. I want to see who you are then. And you really don't see people for who they are until you get to see them for who they're not. Right. Right. When, When you get okay, when you get okay with seeing your worst days and then embracing them, learning from them, right, those worst days really have propelled you to more and greater success. All right, this it is takes true. a nice little takes a nice little level of courage to look at yourself that way. It definitely right, so takes a level of courage. That's why anybody excellent at anything, uh, they have certainly embraced the failure, but have used it as a stepping stone, right? Where other people, right. other people, they are consumed by a pile of their failures. People that are excellent at what they do are standing on a heap of their failures. That's true. Wow. Yeah. Like, so I play and you with hope that pile gets that bigger. <laughs> the, pile, the longer you're out there, the more opportunities you're going to have to learn from your own faults, foibles, inadequacies, shortcomings, and mistakes. That's what they call and it. Once you be, yeah, and you know, Harry, once you become good at that, Learning from your mistakes, you're able to pivot in the right direction mm-hmm. when you see it coming. You're able to mm-hmm. notice and recognize people that aren't who they say they are, and they show that to mm-hmm. you the first time around most of the time. You just have to mm-hmm. be able to pick up on it. So, yeah. you know, that goes a long way with several things in your life. And if you're mm-hmm. not standing on a heap of failures, then you're not really sure when to pivot and when to play, you know. Yeah. And, and you're you not sure to embrace it. You can't embrace it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you certainly can't because now your failures have consumed you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough. And we all people. have, you know. Yeah, I'm I came sorry, from. I came from. I came from a family that uh, was broken. So my parents got a divorce when I was five years old. My dad right. didn't see many football games of me growing up. You know, part of that was because of a failed marriage. But the failed marriage uh, kind of destroyed the relationship with the son and the daughter. In other words, uh, my parents needed to work a lot better at uh, not being consumed by their failed marriage that uh, it would adversely affect their relationship with their kids. But it happens all the time. You're absolutely so it's right. The, it's the same thing in business, right? When you fail at your first attempt to, at starting a business, right, do you allow that failure to dictate, like, the future possibility? Right? So the same thing in personal life, the same thing in your professional life. You really cannot separate the two. You are who you are, whether you are working uh part of a family, part of a team, right? And they can all benefit or not from 
your experiences, certainly your relationship with your failures. Your successes, yes, uh, but next level stuff is based on how you are willing to take a shot at overcoming those failures. Right. And that's true because that will affect you throughout your whole life if you allow it to. You know, and you have to be the one to look in the mirror every day and say, you know, I know who I am. Mm-hmm. Because that's the first playing, part about it. I was playing a game against a really good player in Seattle. His name was Rufus Porter. Rufus Porter was like this six, seven, eight-year all-pro guy. He was like the best rush defensive okay. uh, lineman for many years for the Seattle Seahawks. So I was a first-time starter as a left tackle, even though I was drafted as a defensive lineman, I was a first-time starter at left tackle for the San Diego Chargers, and we go to Seattle. This particular week uh, that we went to Seattle, it was a week after this player, Rufus Porter, had just embarrassed one of the greatest offensive tackles in the National Football League. His name is Anthony Munoz. He beat Anthony Munoz for like three sacks. And here I come. Only I only play three games at offensive tackle, and I got to play against this great player. Sure enough, he gets two sacks on me, and we just start the game. Wow. And I'm, Yeah, and I'm coming off onto the sideline, and I don't look real good because I'm feeling a little defeated. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and, but I had a coach. He wasn't my coach. He was a tight ends coach. i never forget him. His name is Ed White. He came up to me and he goes, hey, Harry, do you know how to dance? I go, Ed, what are you talking about? Of course I know how to dance. I'm from Philly. <laughs> right. He goes. We all know how to well, dance. Harry, <laughs> hey, Harry, just dance with him. You know how he dance. And he does this little trot in front of me as if that was a dance. And I'm like, right. okay, Ed. Okay, Ed, thanks. Thanks, Ed. No thanks to what I'm thinking when he walks away. And I'll go, dancing? What is he talking about dancing for? Of course I can <laughs> dance. Like, he's like, just dance, just dance, and just stay right in front of him. It's like, okay. So that it wasn't what he said that it was going to change my technique or my strategy. What he said, really what he communicated to me was, uh, it's not, as hard as you think, right? It's much more simple than we give it credit for. Sometimes we can overthink our mistakes, looking for where we made it, where it really has nothing to do with that. All it really has something to do with is our thinking. Do you believe you are now under the control of your failures, or uh, can you think about it and reframe your thinking uh, so that you're uh, your technique or your demonstration of it changes. And that's all it was. It was all in my head. It was the 90% mental statement, right? All you have right. to do is stay in front of them. So he was and telling so, you to create a mind shift. The rest of the game, I shut out Rufus Porter, and it was so obvious that after the game, Rufus Porter, all he could do was come up to me and look at me and go, hmm, nice game, I guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're like, that yes. Is what, yeah. So we've all in business have had like uh, a hump moment, like uh, things turn around for me because of this one encounter. That was mine. That game, that little comment about dancing was my hump game, and it turned everything around for me. My career should have been over a year or two after, but because of that one little shift in my thinking, uh, mm-hmm. to simplify things because I had one person believe that I could dance, which right. meant that I could play, uh, right? I was able to play another eight more years after that. Wow. So that leads me into my next question. What was it like winning your first Super Bowl championship? Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing because I lost my first Super Bowl championship. Right. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah. I think, you, yeah, you could, so you get another another level of appreciation when you've gone through a defeat. You just value the wins, small and big, more. And the, the, 
the, the confidence boost that you get from proving to yourself and other people that you're a champion is huge, right? It's not that, trust me, it's not that, uh, it's not like somebody else crowns you champion. One game or one moment uh, just gives everybody else evidence that you are. Expound on that for me. So it wasn't that uh, we weren't champions per se because we had not won the last game of the year. Right. We already knew that we were. Champions already know that they are a champion. Right. They just need to go out and show other people that they are so other people crown them. Ooh, I never heard it put that way. Okay. The game is over before it starts. If you can get enough people to believe that when they go and uh, complete a big project or uh, a big deal is on the line or a big game is on the line, if enough of them are convinced that this is already completed, this is already done, we're just now just walking through the steps to show everybody else what we already know. So some, some, leader, some leadership books like Harry Kramer call it uh, true confidence, true self-confidence. Right? It's like this assurance. Yeah, it's like an assurance that it's an assurance that really has uh, more to do with faith. So it's faith and fear are basically the same thing. Right? Fear believes that something bad will happen. Faith believes that something good will happen. I mean, that's the simplest, most elementary definition I could give for you of this whole championship idea, right? When you don't have it, then there is a fear that we could lose. But champions before the game know there's no way we're going to lose. We already know this. We're together. We're committed. We've done the work. We believe it, and we believe it at a level where even if something bad happens, the journey in itself will end in good. Let's go. And we're still champions when it's over. Yes. You believe it before before it's over, you already believed it. I think I've experienced that in my career as a real estate agent, to be honest with you. You know, making Mm -hmm. it to a level where people called me what they quote, you know, top agent, a top luxury agent. And I remember Mm -hmm. sitting, waiting for the ball to drop on one of the biggest deals of my whole entire career. Mm-hmm. And I just knew I've done everything I can to push this over the net. Mm-hmm. But it was still that small amount of fear that if it doesn't happen, how will I be looked at after that? Because now everybody's right. eyes are on me. And now once it has turned and I won, I've mm-hmm. pushed that deal over the net, the whole world opened up, it seemed like. Yep. So I, I understand yep. that so clearly. I, I'm going through the picture in my mind as you're speaking to me about that. So I still, mm-hmm. even at that point, I still won. I still felt like I won. And I said, no matter yep. which way this pendulum goes, mm-hmm. I still won. You still Because won. I yep. made it you here. You can't lose. And I'm waiting. You can't lose. Exactly. And I didn't. You can't lose. And the great part right. about it was I got it over the net. <laughs> so. Right. And now everybody else is convinced that, oh, yeah, she has a right. Right. She has what it takes to be here. Right. Yeah, Amazing. Yeah, you just kind of, um, yeah, you broke that down for me. I never looked at it in that sense, but that's true. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, you're right. You're waiting for everyone else yeah. to tell you that you're a champion when you already know. Yeah. And you can take that. Any, everywhere. Yeah, you can take that all the way across the board with anything you're doing. As long as any you have industry, the confidence in you. Yes. Any industry, wow. any job, any craft anywhere but it but the the laboratory for it though is a parent to a child that's where it's right that's where that's the foundation when your mom or your dad say to you son daughter you have what it takes because of their position in your in your life and the value you have for what they say uh, they set your trajectory right there. Right, and they the weight they carry. Yeah, because they carry so much weight just because of their position in your life and the time of your life, too. 
they don't even have to say those exact words, but when you're convinced that I have what it takes because they said so, watch out, mm-hmm. work. Yeah, that's my mom. She's a rock. <laughs> She's mm-hmm. a rock, I tell you. It'd be She's the, nothing, like your first cheerleader. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And uh, back in the '90s, we would call it uh, "Who's your hype man?" Right. <laughs> Everybody needs a hype man. That's right. So, but the but the first hype man you need is the parent when you're in your formative years. That's right. That's the foundation. They, they laid a foundation. You go out there. You challenge your challenges. You're challenged with a lot of different, you know, outside elements. But that foundation right. always come back to you. Yeah. You know, right from course. wrong. Yeah, that's yeah. the force. And then the other so, people in your life, even in your adult life, they can uh, all they really do is just also remind you of that and tap into it. That's true. Yes. And those are the people you find that you keep around you also. There you go. Because, you know, it's not easy um, to find a level of friendship and a level of trust with people. And that's why I always mm-hmm. say, you know, when people show you who, you who they are the first time, you make your decision then, mm-hmm. whether they're going to stay in your life or not. And it's like friends like you, you know, and, and quite a few other people that I've spoken to that we pick up right where we mm-hmm. left off. It's, it seems like yeah. we never stopped talking to each other or didn't see mm-hmm. each other for 20 years. It seems like it was just maybe two years ago or something. Yeah, because we were doing right. other things in our lives. Yep, lifelong friends don't need to talk every week. Exactly. Yeah, because you pick up right where you left off, mm-hmm. and you keep moving. Yep. Same heart, same mind. So, okay, so we've passed the first championship. What about the second championship? That one you did win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so the uh, the second one uh, really was my. It was my favorite because things changed so much in my life. Right. So things, yeah, things changed so much because I, I just, I really discovered that uh, growing up in Philly and Germantown and West Oak Lane and South Philly, there's nobody gets out of those neighborhoods and ends up in three Super Bowls. That's true. Right, with, with, you know, <laughs> Nobody loves football and then becomes a Super Bowl winner in football. Nobody loves basketball and then ends up becoming a Super Bowl winner. Right? You right. pursue the one thing relentlessly and then you get it. You don't pursue another thing and then you fall into a Super Bowl win. There's no wow. falling into Super Bowl wins, right? And right. So I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that until my second Super Bowl win that I was convinced that I did not belong here, but I'm here, and it couldn't be anybody else but God orchestrating this right. whole thing. Amazing. Right? Right. And and I could, I could say that with confidence because I had a whole lot of fun in the National Football League. My most fun was on some of the worst teams. So I played for the the Buccaneers in the late 80s. We only won four games a year. Right. (laughs) But we partied the hardest and had the most fun drinking and driving and carousing. And it's some some famous strip clubs in Tampa, too. Yes, there (laughs) are. I I remember when I was working down there. And I didn't realize until my second Super Bowl that I didn't belong here. I had, like, a really bad injury that all of a sudden just poof, went away after seeing the second opinion doctor. Uh, And for me to still be there playing in that game, I knew there had to be a guy, and I acknowledged to him that night before that game started. My whole life changed after that. I know. Tell us about that. What was that shift for like for you? Yeah, the shift was just crazy because um, my whole life was like football. I had everything because of football. I ascribed all the credit to football. I mean, all my relationships were through football. and But I had missed the whole level because uh, it wasn't about football. I knew that because I won a third Super Bowl, and the emphasis wasn't on the winning. 
uh, so much. It was on the one who just orchestrated and set the whole thing up. I'm like, either God is in complete control of everything or he's not. It's either one or the other for everyone. You give him the credit for being the creator of everything or you don't. There's no halfway. Right? Either you produced it or he allowed you to produce it, one or the other. Make your choice. And so I made my and choice. you made that, that choice. Second. I made that choice, and I, can, I think I was better equipped to make that choice because I had everything that most people in the U.S. want, right? A lot of money, a lot of fame, a lot of attention. If we had social media, then I would have had a lot of followers. <laughs> and, uh, every man wants a beautiful woman at his side. And they, wanna, uh, they want to have their contract up uh, at their biggest year. So I had all four of those things covered. Yes, I had all four of those things covered, and I was the most emptiest guy in the world. It was not enough. It did not satisfy. Wow. I needed to go back. I really thought I needed to go back to the Super Bowl because I think I missed something. So what was that emptiness like for you? I mean, you. I've had a lot of people on here. Yeah. You know, on this show, oh. Harry, and this is the most honest I've heard someone say, you know, that had everything. And I know you. Mm-hmm. It's not like I don't know you. I know you. It's not like yeah. you're talking to some stranger. You know, I was with you before you got married, met your beautiful wife, been with you, you know, throughout kids. Mm-hmm. So I know what you had. I know what you, mm-hmm. con- you know, went through. I was there. I was your interior designer. I was your friend. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that emptiness because a lot of people don't get that. It's not the money. And the yeah, money yeah, always no. comes if you do the work. No, no. I think the money and uh, all the other stuff, I'll call it stuff, uh, gave right. evidence to my emptiness. So if the money, we always say that, you know, money makes you happy. It does not. So I had it, I spent it, I made more of it, I spent it, I spent it a different way and made more of it. No. So same bottomless pit. So I bought stuff. I bought houses, cars, and furniture. Right. Yeah. It was great for a little while, but it's meaningless. It didn't make me happy either. Uh, Like, let me get a new agent. Maybe he'll make me more money or I'll get more attention. No. I was... And I was still reeling from uh, my dad wanting to have no attention with me at all, right? In my marriage, I'm not used to uh, failing uh, at something that I really put my effort into, but marriage is surely not about one's effort. So I was applying the same principles to my marriage that I applied to football. Absolutely and totally ridiculous. But I just didn't want to have a failed marriage like my parents. That's just not a very good strategy for having a successful marriage. And so I had no choice but to to go back to the one who created the institution to begin with. Marriage was created by God. Family was his idea, not ours. Wow. He's the one that shows us how uh, make one male and one female, and I'm putting it, putting them together. Right? I didn't start from that basis. I started from another basis. Like, I made this wealth, and so therefore I will be happy in it. And it was the very wealth that I was making that was making it more obvious that I was miserable. I'm missing something. It wasn't going to be in championships. And you had to figure that out. I had to figure that out. And so. And when did it hit you exactly? Like when was it? It hit me walking out of the locker room to start the thirty-third Super Bowl. Wow. Right. I went through this whole film of my life, and like from the beginning of that tunnel introduction to the end of the game, replaying all the stuff that I had done, all the all the driving drunk in San Diego, all the parties, all the chasing women, all the parties in L.A., and all the, you know, single man stuff, but to an NFL level. 
And this is at a time. Which is a very high level. (laughs) Yeah, very high level because uh, people weren't carrying iPhones back then. Phones did not have cameras. Right. (laughs) Right. There was no. And boy, oh boy. (laughs) Yeah. So there was a lot of stuff going on that nobody knew about. Wow. That's either good or bad. I don't know. (laughs) Right. And some people uh, died. Yeah. And I had a lot of uh, bad habits, like bad habit of uh, being consumed by Internet pornography, bad habit of going to strip clubs, bad habit of uh, drinking into drunkenness, right? A lot of bad habits that really were uh, even fighting up against my uh, professional job as a football player, trying to burn the candle on both ends, so to speak. Right. Right. And and those were beginning to consume me too because I was just miserable. Right. I made a lot of money in football because I played angry. Right. That does help you, you said. on the football field. It yeah. You greatly on the football field, but off of the football field, it cost me big time. And wreaked so I didn't have a lot of friends. Did not have a lot of friends. Uh, kept to myself a lot. Uh, and, yeah, I was just a miserable, unhappy dude, unless I had a vodka and cranberry in my hand. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that Super Bowl, that, that 32nd, 33rd, excuse me, 33rd Super Bowl was, uh, was everything for me because it put it all into perspective. I had the wrong perspective. He had the right one. And so I had to seriously consider who God was and what he was doing. That's amazing. God is great. He's definitely yes, great. Mm-hmm. Amazing. All day mm-hmm. long, mm-hmm. all night long, all every time. <laughs> every time you need mm-hmm. him, he's there. Mm-hmm. So how did marriage change your life? Because yes, at that so time, you, you pretty much were still new to marriage. Yeah, I was. I don't think if I didn't... Uh, if I didn't get God's perspective on marriage, my marriage would have been over after a year and a half. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Don knows that. We both know that. We'd have been looking at the D word, divorce. No right. Doubt. Yeah, we don't speak but, those words. <laughs> that, was a, that was the very thing that uh, I wanted to avoid, partly because I wanted to show my dad. I wanted to show him up. Of course, because you still have that anger in you. Yeah, and I had the anger because I still was clamoring for his attention. And what made you stop and say, I don't need his attention? Yeah, I went from uh, clamoring after that father's attention to clamoring after the heavenly father's attention. Not knowing that that I already had his full attention. I was just chasing and pursuing the wrong father right so there's a part of the bible in the hebrews 12 that says our earthly fathers disciplined us as best they could but our heavenly father severely disciplines us for righteous sake okay yes and your marriage you have been married quite 23 years 23 years now five beautiful kids a gorgeous yes. wife, a smart wife, Duke graduate, guys. I just want you to know. <laughs> yes, she is a My Duke friend. graduate. Yes, she is. And, mm-hmm. um, wow, I remember the day I met her with you. I knew. I knew. We talked about that. I knew. As soon as I saw you with her, I went, okay, that's it. This is over. This is a wash. Mm-hmm. He's marrying this girl. And you mm-hmm. did. And I did. And, wow, 23 years later, five kids, you guys are still together. You've discovered God and how Mm -hmm. he has blessed you with all of this and everything else that you thought was important. You said, you know, no, that's not it. This is what's important. Yes. Yes, it is. And you guys are still together. Yes, we are. And and doing business together now is what I'm excited about. I know. I'm excited for you guys. Yeah, really excited about it. Looking forward to growing it just... Just the counseling that me and Don do together has been phenomenal already, and it's, we're still in the infancy stages, right? After being an executive in the National Football League, 
Like it's a big switch, but it, it, it's exciting. That that must be exciting. Where was that mind shift for you when you went into the ministry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, in a lot of ways it was the perfect transition away. Right. So instead of going cold turkey, done with the football thing because I'm done with being a player. Um, right. I think being out of the game but being close to the game was a, a much easier transition away from the game, right? As a player, it's take, 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 take. Uh, but as someone in ministry in the National Football League, it's give, 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 which, is a great, which was a great uh, training ground, if you will, for me in my life, right? I can remember my first year in ministry as the chaplain for the Bears, I get kicked out of the locker room. I had just been in, I'd just been in the locker room for 15 years as like a captain on the team, and here I am getting kicked out as a chaplain. And uh, Yes, because it became your career. Yeah, yeah. It's quickly how, how fast you become a has-been, but that's what I became. Wow. And I... I was okay with it. I understood uh, the dynamic that players have to go through, so I had to win my way back into their hearts to get back into their building. Wow. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time. And I'm sure the they were lot. all shocked. They were shocked by you becoming the chaplain. Yeah, they were. Most of them didn't even know who I was, nor did they know I played. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it has been. So it was, uh, it was a tough challenge, but I was committed to doing the Lord's work. And you have definitely become a soldier for God. I mean, that's amazing. Yes. Because yes. it's your career now. You know, after three mm-hmm. Super Bowls, you know, yeah. five kids, yeah. a beautiful wife, now yeah. a business in the ministries. What's yeah. next for you guys? Tell us about the business. Yeah, so uh, HDS counseling uh, is predominantly marriage counseling. Uh, but with marriage, we're talking about family, so it is marriage and family therapy. And so okay. we, uh, we, like, we like to think that we're a little different than a normal marriage counselor because typically we uh, meet with people that are in our community, right? So either in uh, the city we live in, uh, the church we go to, uh, the places that uh, the, the parents that we meet at our kids' schools. Uh, so we're all pretty much in community with one another. Uh, or the social media community, which broadens things out a little bit, right? Yes. And so uh, just what's great about being in community is when you get help from the community, you become more of a community and you have the characteristics of the community, so much so that most of our uh, counseling takes place uh, right in our home. Oh, that's nice. That's big, Very comfortable. That's a big yes. Part, yeah, big part of what we do, here we are, here's who we are, let us help you. We do that without even, without even saying it. Here's who we are, here we are, let us help you, Right. And so really the only way we can help people is when they actually ask for the help. Right. And you're opening and up we, your home to them. And we open up ourselves to them. Right. Right. We didn't have all the answers. Here's the answers we found. Here's something you might want to think about to work on. Yeah, because, you know, marriage doesn't come with a playbook. <laughs> so no, I know that firsthand, too. Right, and and you and you don't get any practice at it either. No, you don't. No, you make mistakes in that one, and it could be over. Exactly. Yes. So just the institution of marriage alone says help will be needed. <laughs> yes, and you know it's a level of respect too for each party. You know, yes. I think respect goes much further than the love thing sometimes because, mm-hmm. for me, that's huge. I, I must respect the person I'm with. That's very important yes. to me. 
So, you know, yeah. I don't know how other marriages work, but to me, I think respecting one another is huge in the relationship. That's what's great about so, me and Dawn doing it because she can really respect the perspective of the wife in a much more uh, thorough way than I could. I, okay. Versa, I, I can respect the perspective of the husband in a way that uh, appeals to the husband. And so most, almost all of our sessions are two-on-two. And so that everybody, oh, okay. you, can go to a, you can go to a counseling session a lot and say, uh, well, I think he was really leaning towards you, or I think she was really leaning towards me. I don't think I was heard. So we kind of extinguish that straight away up front. Right at the front door. Yes. So how are you guys navigating through life now? Yes, it's different. I mean, uh, I got laid off from the Ravens a few months ago, and okay. we've been we've been looking at different ways to uh, grow the counseling business and grow the consulting that I'm doing. So I'm still okay. doing the same work. I'm still doing the same training and development, working with high performance individuals, uh, just not all in sports and entertainment. Okay. And Still in help services, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, just not confined just to the National Football League and the Baltimore Ravens. So it's been like another transition in many ways. Uh, another pivot. Accrued, <laughs> another pivot, having to uh, find places where help is needed, and there's a lot of it, uh, help needed, uh, uh, just uh, – getting people aware and understanding of what I do, what I've done, uh, and how I can help them, their teams, their relationships that go on, that have to go on in any successful business has been great to discover. That's amazing, you know, because that now allows you to open up even more so because you're not targeted at one, you know, profession as far as helping right. them concerned. And, and it's a beautiful thing because, like you said, it, help is needed. It's a necessity. Yes. It's like food that, you know, people need every day. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's a good thing that you're more open and accessible. Now, yeah. where you target is something different, but you still are open and accessible. And I think it's wonderful that Dawn, your wife, you know, can, can definitely be there to help shepherd these councils along, you know, as far yeah. as the wife is concerned. I mean, you don't find mm -hmm. that, you know, husband and wife team. And also you guys have a lot to offer You've gone through a lot. You've been extremely honest here. You peel back all the layers, and people, you know, see you as a genuine person to talk to, to, to open up to, because you've been yeah. there. You've done that. And you yeah. pulled off the helmet and the uniform and said, listen, I'm still a person. I still go through everything yeah. just like everyone else does. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I think you will be – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that's a, that's a good word to say it, that, uh, peeling off and taking off the helmet. I think it helps people when you are open and transparent enough with yourself. Uh, they're convinced that, one, you're authentic, and, uh, two, you have some uh, experience, experiences that says, uh, I'm okay letting you know where I've gone wrong. And uh, who I am. And who I am. And that in and of itself, that experience uh, does gives me, give me a level of credibility uh, that when I do come with strategies and solutions and considerations, uh, that they can be helpful to the uh, person on the other end. Right, because, you know, like you said, people have fears, people have you know, these thoughts in their heads, oh, I couldn't talk to him. He doesn't even know where I've been or where I've, what I've done in my life. And, well, mm -hmm. you let them know everything. You said to them, listen, yeah. I've been to the worst part of my life, where you might have thought it was yeah. the best part of this life. And I'm sharing with yeah. you that that was the most emptiest part of my life. Yeah, yeah. So and you can't be any more. Yeah. yeah. You can't be any more role. genuine than that. Oh, uh, thank you. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, my former role as the player engagement director for the Ravens, one thing I did appreciate about those employees, in particular the players, is that I could not have done my job as well as I did it without uh, convincing uh, those players uh, that I was, they were seeing my genuine self. Right. A version of it, not a put on, uh, not a contrived version of Harry Swain, the director of player engagement, but uh, the guy himself. My work really uh, started, the foundation of it came from that. That's beautiful. And not only that, these guys, you know, from listening to you this whole time, how about there's so many guys out there that were like you were, you know, that are Mm -hmm. like you were, and they probably are screaming for help and don't know where to go or too embarrassed to go. But then they have someone like you that's been through everything Mm -hmm. and was on the same level or even a bigger level than them. Now they have someone Mm -hmm. to turn to. So that's a really good thing. I Listen, yeah. I, God bless you. I take my hat off to you. And God, I always oh. say God promotes those who promote to others. And yes. that's what yeah. he wants us to do. Yeah, well you said. Know? Well said. And the more you give, the more you get. And it doesn't have to be in material. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. It's the whole reap and sow concept, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. And that's what we're trying to do here at From Execution to Excellence, to let people know that there are people out here just like you, me, and everyone else. We all go through the same thing. We all have our failures. But we have to pull ourselves up and keep Mm -hmm. moving. As long as we keep moving forward, we'll be all right. Mm -hmm. And definitely by the grace of God. Yes. By the grace of God. Harry, I... So appreciate you coming on this show. Sure, I wish you pleasure. all the luck. Yes, I wish you and Dawn all the luck with HDS. I think it's going to be amazing and a successful yeah. business. If I can do anything to help you, I am here. So, Great. you know, I'm happy to say to you, listen, you can come back on this show anytime, anytime you're Love ready, it. and we can get this done. Let me know. I'd love to help. Thank you so much, Jane. Appreciate you. Absolutely. I love you guys, and I can't wait to see you again and talk to you again. Awesome. Love you, too. God bless. Hey, guys. Wow, guys. What an amazing interview with Mr. Harry Swain, former three-time Super Bowl champion. What a winner. And you can be a winner also if you just keep continuing to listen to From Execution to Excellence. And guys, don't forget, you can subscribe, follow, rate, and review us. And we would love to hear from you. You can find Harry at Harry Swain on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find him on Instagram at HDS. Talk to you soon.